Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland! You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone, live. It's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome to the first Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast of 2021. After a week sabbatical to enjoy Christmas with the family, we are back. And man, we're looking forward to a great year. I have determined that regardless of what may be going on around me, politically, uh, with COVID, with anything else, that uh, 2021 is going to be a great year. Now, I've got to be very honest with you. Uh, In 2020, we all had a lot taken away from us. We we had, from a broadcast standpoint, I personally did a a baseball game on March the 12th, and then everything was shut down and did not do anything else broadcast-wise until basketball kicked off again on November the 25th. Now, that's not including the podcast, but I'm talking about doing uh, actual game broadcast for my job at Furman University. Outside of that, I actually had a pretty good 2021. My wife and I, or 2020 rather, my wife and I made the most of a bad situation, uh, getting a lot of things done around the house that needed to be done. Uh, I did a lot of traveling with uh, a little side business that I I have uh, doing some over-the-road deliveries in my van, so I got to see a good majority of the country, at least through my uh, through my windshield, the way I do these things. But uh, mostly, I got to spend a lot of quality time with my family, uh, my wife, my daughters, my grandchildren, that uh, I have not been getting because of, of life's busyness. And, and my, I, I don't make New Year's resolutions. Uh, I think they're silly. They, they never they never pan out, at least in my experience, they don't. Uh, but one thing I've determined that I'm going to do in 2021 is continue to make sure that I have that kind of quality time with my family. Now, work is going to interfere with that. That's a part of life, I understand but being more intentional about carving out that kind of time. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I kind of got spoiled a little bit. As much as I love broadcasting, as much as I hated being away from the ballpark especially, I enjoyed the the time that I had not previously had with my wife, with my children, with my grandchildren. Uh, and and, and the, the pandemic, at the very least, caused me to slow down 
and uh, take that take that opportunity to to reinvigorate, for lack of a better term, those relationships. My goal, my determination for 2021, as you know, we are busy. We are doing basketball. We've played 10 basketball games at Furman, or 11 basketball games at Furman now. But my goal is to strike a better balance between my work life and my home life here in 2021. And uh, on top of all of that, put much more of an emphasis above and beyond anything else on my spiritual life and my relationship with Jesus. That's That's got to be the number one thing in my life. So that that's what my 2021 hopes are. Again, they're not resolutions as much as they are goals and determinations. And I, I hope that uh, however you approach it, you approach it with, with uh, a, a similar mindset to, to focus on the things that matter most. I need to tell you the podcast is presented by Tadaro Pizza. They're in uh, uh, downtown Greenville on North Markley Street, just down the street from Floor Field at the West End. Tadaropizza.com is the website, T-O-D-A-R-O Pizza.com. They are still open and ha- have uh, inside and outside service. The uh, The food is simply phenomenal. John and his folks have done a great job of, of weathering all of the challenges of this pandemic, and uh, you need to go check it out. If, I, I tell you all the time, if you're not from the upstate and you're coming to this part of South Carolina, you need to put Tadaro Pizza on your food bucket list. You will not be sorry. They also have the the Sloan Street location at downtown Clemson right now. They are only open for takeout and delivery, but you can find out more again tadaropizza.com. Check them out on Facebook Tadaro Pizza Greenville and uh, tell John that you heard about him here on the podcast. All right, we will take a break. Come back Tom Van Hoy, Dave Glenn up with us and we're going to get into a whole lot of stuff including who is and and more appropriately who's not playing for the College Football National Championship. All that and more when the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters return in just a moment. We are just getting things cranked up here on this first edition of 2021, Dan Scott Show. It's actually episode 21, appropriately enough, of the uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. Dan Scott, Tom Van Hoy is here with us as he normally is. How are you, sir? Good, good. Made it through 2020. Let's uh, (laughs) hope for a better 2021, Well, you know, normally when uh, we, we do stuff like this, like we'll do with Dave Glenn in the uh, the next uh, the next segment, uh, you're talking about, hey, man, haven't seen you, how'd everything go, all of that stuff, but that's not the case with you and I. We've been on the road <laughs> doing basketball and uh, seeing quite a bit of each other. Yeah, we uh, do a lot of games together, and uh, have, you know, I'm just glad we got a chance to do uh, some of the games and, and just in general because of the break, and it's... It's a long one for a lot of people, and like I said, sometimes you don't deceive somebody for two or three weeks. You, can, you and I have done some games, and the key there is the fact that we've been able to do some games, and a lot of teams and broadcasters and fans and so forth haven't been able to see their team play. 
Yeah, the the pandemic continues to uh, to wreak uh, different levels of havoc, uh, not only uh, you know across the medical landscape, but but in the the world of sports as well. Uh, in in the Southern Conference, for instance, Furman basketball is supposed to play at Western Carolina uh, on Wednesday of this week. Uh, the show uh, airs on Monday, and, and the podcast drops on Monday afternoon. So we're supposed to play Wednesday, but that game's been postponed because Western has. COVID issues, so the Paladins get basically a week between games before VMI comes in. But, uh, you know, for the most part, Tom, I mean, we're seeing games canceled, but the the leagues, whether it's college or professional, are doing everything they can to to get these games in. And and the NFL just completed its regular season yesterday, and they got all 276 regular Mm -hmm. season games in. That's a heck of an accomplishment. Yeah, that is, and you even go back to, to baseball and when, when uh, Major League Baseball, when that all began, and the, and the NBA, of course, had had the bubble, and they were able to get through that, and Major League Baseball, the limited season, and the way they did it uh, stayed kind of in the, a regional situation, but did did travel, got it in, and, you know, it's unprecedented, and you're trying to have to uh, adjust on the fly, and we saw some issues uh, with the National Football League and how they addressed that, and they were still able to get them all in as we kind of project forward to college basketball. And we've seen some in, in, in more so when you get into conference play, like you mentioned with uh, uh, the Citadel and now, now Western uh, Carolina that had some COVID issues. How do you go about trying to get those conference games rescheduled? Some of the other non-conference, if they're postponed, well, and canceled, that, that happens. But here in the Southern Conference, if folks don't know, it's normally a Wednesday-Saturday situation. With Furman, they've got one uh, situation where it is a Monday game with uh, UNCG at Timmins Arena because of uh, national television coverage, which is cool. ESPNU going to do mm-hmm. some games this year out of the Southern Conference. So I think when we get into, now we're into January and February, how all that's going to play out and how you re- try to re- this, reschedule that and, and get as many games as you can in because you're looking at the possibility of some teams not playing the same number of games gets down to percentages and things like that. Yeah, and and then it also brings (laughs) an interesting scenario to light because, uh, at at least in the Southern Conference, the the general idea is that they're they're leaving it up to the schools to do the rescheduling of games if they can find windows to do it. And I don't know exactly how the other conferences are doing it. I think the bigger conferences are probably a little more – uh, uh, involved in that, and at, ultimately the Southern Conference may be as well. But it does uh, bring a, a, a possible scenario to mind that you and I discussed briefly the other day uh, before uh, our, our basketball game with um, – who, who did Furman play last on Saturday? Mercer. Oh, Mercer, yeah, before that yeah. game started. All right, you got Western Carolina who's lost games uh, back-to-back to the Citadel and to Furman. And knowing, as you said, that schedule is pretty much Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, the rest of the year. Are they going to try to get both of those games in and, and have uh, you know at least two weeks where they have to play three games and maybe go like a Saturday, Monday or something like that? Or do they pick and choose? And, and if you're a Western Carolina, if it comes down to that, who would you rather play, the Citadel or Furman? And I, I don't know that that is going to play into the, the mindset or not, but it, it at least 
presents itself as a possibility that if you're a school who's lost multiple games and you only have X number of of days that you can play and you have to try to match that up with the opposition, can you try to game the system a little bit? And, and because ultimately, as it always does, it's the, the conference champion, regular season champion is going to come down to winning percentage. It's just that everybody plays the same number of games most years. It's not going to be the case this year. So the scenario is out there, Tom, where somebody could try to game the system when it comes to scheduling or rescheduling games that have been postponed based on, hey, you know, we got a better chance of winning this one than that one. So let's concentrate on this one. Yeah. Are you talking about, I mean, uh, if if it is up to the school, I would think maybe at at some point the conference would say, you got to do it in chronological order. Okay. You met you. Western Carolina didn't play the Citadel, then they didn't play Furman. That you know they got to play the Citadel first. I, I would think that would make that would make sense. It would be common sense, but we we know in this you, you, you are you are applying logic to an illogical uh, situation, so, Tom. So we'll see uh, how that plays out. But it's it's uh, you know it's it's a fluid situation, and and uh, you know. The Southern Conference, as you mentioned, we talked about a moment ago. It's Wednesday, Saturday, and I would think that you know Monday would be the best way to do it. If not, I don't know how you get it in there without without playing back to back nights. And there was at one point uh, when I used to do some college basketball in another part of the country. That's how it was because uh, the distance they had to travel, they would play a game on Friday night and they play a game on Saturday night, and that that's really uh, difficult to do. And then if you want to kind of extrapolate that to other conferences, that's the Southern Conference Wednesday, Saturday. There are a whole bunch of them. We saw uh, with Upstate when in the Big South how they're doing it back-to-back days. And, you know, you get into that kind of situation. There are others um, that uh, the Mountain West, uh, for example, as we saw, what that great comeback by Colorado State. I don't know if you saw that. Nico mm-hmm. Medved, you know, they were down by 26 points, 33-7. And they came back and won the game. And, Lo and behold, uh, the, two days later, they got to do it again. That's kind of how they do it with the day in between. So it, it'll be tough, I think, in, in some regards to try to get some of those games in, depending on the scheduling within the conference. Yeah, and in fact, I, I uh, tweeted Nico after that and said, see, you're starting to get what we in the broadcast media want, uh, drama to increase ratings. Uh, for those who didn't see the former Furman basketball coach now at Colorado State, as Tom said, they were down 33-7 to and came back and won that Man. game. Just an incredible, incredible comeback. You're listening to uh, the Dan Scott Show slash episode 21 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. We're going to save the majority of our college football talk uh, until the next segment with Dave Glenn of accsports.com and theathletic.com. Uh, but obviously – uh, everyone in this area, or I won't say everyone, because I'm sure the Gamecock fans are happy that that Clemson got beat. But uh, all, all of the the orange clad folks here in this area were, were uh, not only hoping but expecting that Clemson would be playing Alabama in the national championship game one week from today. Obviously, Tom, that did not happen. And, and whether Ohio State deserved to be in that game because of the number of games they played or not, they proved. They deserve to be there by the quality of the way they played. Yeah, they did. I mean, I was uh, surprised at how well they played given the the performance that they had against Northwestern. 
in uh, they were given an opportunity to play in the big uh, the Big Ten championship and won that game 22-14. But man, they came out and just did about whatever they wanted to do offensively. 639 total yards, six touchdown passes by Justin Fields after kind of a mediocre performance against Northwestern. So, I mean, and a lot of conversation about uh, did they feel like they were disrespected because of how Dabo Sweeney voted uh, in, in the poll, had him 11. And, you know, his reasoning was, and, you know, he stood by it. And, you know, I, I agreed with it from the standpoint that they'd only played five or six games. And he thought maybe the other teams that had played more were, were deserving. It had nothing to do with Ohio State, but it was, you know, you can use that as motivation if you, if you want to do that in disrespect. And if they did, then it, it really worked. But I saw where he was coming from, and it's an unprecedented year. And, you know, he thought maybe those that had played more games had uh, – uh, more deserving of, uh, of a higher ranking. Well, that's a conversation and a debate that obviously is going to continue, but the bottom line is Ohio State won the game. And, and uh, you know, looking at some of the, the coverage of that, and, and we'll maybe again get into this in, in much more detail with Dave Glenn coming up, but uh, I think it was Larry Williams from TigerIllustrated.com who uh, had a follow-up story yesterday talking about the last two college football playoff games that Clemson has been in, uh, their pass defense has just been shredded. You know, Joe Burrow in the championship game last year and in the um, uh, in the semifinals this season with against Ohio State. Uh, so talking about needing to address the back end uh, of the secondary, but mm-hmm. also, and, and, and this was th- this was a unique take. Maybe even addressing the offense and, and upgrading it to a point that it's better equipped to get into those kind of shootouts. Well, I mean, they score enough, though, right? I mean, uh, whatever forty some points a game. Most so, most he, of the time, he, they do. I mean, what does he mean by upgraded? How you score more? Well, that, that's it, it's a paid site, and I don't pay to get it. I just happen to see that on Twitter. Okay. But my my uh, my uh, assumption, you know, what happens when you assume? But, <laughs> but but my my assumption is that you know the 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 just the ability that if you come up in, into a game when your defense simply is not holding holding anybody down. That that you have the ability to almost score at will. I mean, Ohio State scored at will yeah. in that game, and, and Clemson couldn't. And 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 I think that's the that that's probably the tenor of what Larry was talking about in in, okay. his, in his article is that there are going to be certain games that you have to be able to to simply outscore your opponents. And, and you know, th- does the offense need a major tweaking? Does it need any tweaking at all? I don't know. The, the, the bigger issue is what's gone on on the back end of the defense uh, in, in, in these games in the last two years. Well, yeah, that's true. And the one, one thing about it is uh, if you win as much and you're as successful as, as Clemson is, and then you do lose a couple of ball games, then it gives you, uh, you know, pause to, uh, for everybody else to take a look at uh, where, where those particular issues are. And uh, as, as you mentioned, against LSU and against uh, – Ohio State, uh, they were able to do some uh, major league damage, but kind of reference back a moment ago, I scored everybody's kind of, <laughs> kind of love it. like what they've had to do in the Big 12 for about the past seven or eight years, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and look at, uh, at Alabama and how 
they transition to what they're doing now. They're as good offensively as, as anybody better than anybody in the country right now. It was only a couple of years ago when, you know, uh, Nick Saban kind of scoffed at that. Do we really want to play football like that? And, you know, to his credit, uh, they are able to, to, to change things up and, now, I mean, it's uh, you got to outscore people to win in college football right now. Well, we'll talk more about that with Dave. We got to outscore to win anyway, but yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Really outscore them. Yes. Uh, we'll talk more about all this with Dave Glenn when he joins us in the next segment. I, I want to turn the page a little bit, Tom, uh, while we have a moment here and, and uh, start casting an eye towards Major League Baseball because the, the last thing – that was uh, reported prior to the Christmas break was that the owners wanted to push the start of the season back maybe into May in hopes that more people would be vaccinated. And the players said, no, we want to play the schedule as it's set down. And uh, you know, we've we shown that we can do it. We've shown that we can follow protocol. And, and they want a full season with full pay after what happened last year. I saw this morning, no, I think it was last night, I saw last night that it is expected that everything will begin on time. Spring training will begin on time, the regular season will begin on time, and the intent is to play a 162-game schedule. Uh, and and, and the, the holdup to that apparently was the owners thought that they were going to get um, – get uh, backup from the league office on the idea of, of maybe delaying until May, and, and the commissioner's office hasn't done that. It didn't come. So it's looking like now everything's going to start on time. Well, um, if you go 162 game, now you're talking about uh, nationwide travel and, and all that that kind of stuff, and you know you understand where the players are coming from, and, and they want to play all 162. They all want to get paid uh, from – from the owner's standpoint, you'd think they'd want to play as many games as possible as well, With uh, depending on how many people are going to be allowed into the stadiums. It's still probably a situation now, depending on your uh, regional location and what they uh, what they allow in, in particular areas. I mean, California, we've seen what's happened with the National Football League and some of the teams happen to move out of certain areas just to have an opportunity to play. So, I mean, it's still a lot of moving parts there and and – it, it all depends on what you read and where you read it and, and who's uh, the source of it in terms of how much money they did they did lose and, and all that, both from the players and also from the mm-hmm. owner's standpoint. And uh, it's I, I think most people thought that by now all of mm-hmm. this probably would be gone and so forth. And it isn't. It's still there. And you're talking about vaccine and, and you can't. The vaccine's got to go to those that, that need it the most. I mean, a lot of conversation about whether the, the athlete, the pro athletes can get that and it would be a bad optical situation if, if that were to occur. So it's going to be a while, I think, before uh, everybody at a, at a certain in a certain situation is going to be able to get those. So, yeah, it'll be uh, definitely an ongoing conversation. And we know how that works, Dan. It, it, it'll come down to the uh, the last minute of the, of the last hour before yeah. – probably any decisions are made well the 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 other subplot to, to watch in all of this for those of us who who follow and, and enjoy major league baseball is that the collective bargaining agreement between the the players association the union and, and major league baseball expires at the end of 2021 
and, and that means that we're going to be on the clock for that as well. There has not been a shutdown in Major League Baseball since 1994, and that, that season shut down in August, and of course we lost the World Series that year. And I remember a conversation we had on the radio a number of years later with Marty Brenneman, the Hall of Fame broadcaster of the Reds, and he said that because of the damage that did to the game, he did not believe that we would see another work stoppage in Major League Baseball in our lifetime. And I agreed with him at the time. But time marches on, and memories get short. And the, the level of, of uh, contention between the Players Association and Major League Baseball itself is at a level that I haven't seen it since around 1994. And I worry that we could have a shutdown, which is just not too long ago was unfathomable, that whether it's a strike or a lockout or whatever the case may be. And you have to hope, Tom, that cooler heads prevail. Tony Clark, the union head, Commissioner Rob Manfred, you have to hope that they can all take a big-picture view of things here and not look at everything in the proverbial fishbowl because this sport cannot take a shutdown. It simply could not take well, another work stoppage. Yeah, I, th I think uh, you hit it there when you're talking about time marches on because that's 27 years ago. And how many folks are involved at a high level now that maybe weren't, weren't even around or, or Okay, yeah, yeah, I understand that, 1994. And then the players particularly, heck, half of them, uh, more than that, weren't even born. So they don't even know anything about that. And they could say, yeah, yeah, this is what happened. And, I mean, I agree with you uh, in that regard. And, uh, you know, my, my brother was the perfect example. Once once that happened, he's a big baseball guy. He's gone. I mean, gone. I mean, I, I can't, you know, <laughs> I wasn't. But, but there are people like him that – and that and I, and I think w with the way the uh, the culture is and the situation now across the the spectrum of, of the United States that if they were to shut it down I think there there would not be uh, there'd be a lot more people that wouldn't come back mm -hmm. and we we've seen that in in certain aspects of professional sports anyway in, in regards to other things so um, yeah I think it would be a big blow if, if they didn't do it I just hope that there there are enough people that are in positions, in decision-making positions that do remember 1994. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's hope that's the case. We need to get out of here for a break and come back. Dave Glenn will be with us on the other side, and we'll delve uh, much, uh, much deeply, much more deeply, much deeper, whatever the grammatical, uh, grammatically correct way to say that is. We're going to get into the uh, the Clemson loss and, and uh, what that means for the ACC, and also. Uh, maybe a little ACC basketball if we have time. This is the Dan Scott Show slash episode 21 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, and we'll be back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the Dan Scott Show and uh, episode 21 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am Dan. And uh, good to have you along with us. Good first segment with Tom and uh, anticipating even turning things up a bit here as we normally do by welcomingdavglenn from uh, accsports.com. 
theathletic.com, and it's Subside Athletic Carolinas. So we get back at it here in 2021 and start uh, well, trying to make some sense of everything in the world of sports. And if you can do that, you can make a whole lot of money real quick. Dave, how are you, sir? Dan, Happy New Year to you and Tom. Great to be with you again. Uh, yeah, hope that uh, things are going well with uh, with the Glenn family. You guys had a chance to kind of unplug a little bit as we were talking about. That's always nice. And and now we're back at it. Mass confusion is raining again. Uh, we'll get into that in the ACC in a minute. But we record this on Monday morning for airtime and and uh, podcast drop on Monday afternoon. And just a moment ago, I saw on Twitter. That I think what we expected to happen uh, is going to happen, and the entire NCAA basketball tournament is going to be played now in, the, in, the, in Indianapolis. David, that's not really a shock, is it? No, it's not. And you know, the, as the old saying goes in some detective movies, "Follow the money" is a good phrase to remember. And the reality is, as even someone like Duke coach Mike Shashevsky said during the off season, the NCAA simply cannot afford to miss the NCAA tournament for two years in a row. And even though it is correct to say that college football is the biggest driver by far of the economic engine we call college sports, it is also true to say that college football, people forget, is off there to the side. College football is not filling the coffers of the NCAA. And it's something like 90-plus percent of money in the NCAA's annual budget directly or indirectly comes from the NCAA men's basketball tournament. One event pays more than 90% of your annual bills. So they're going to do anything and everything. They had announced the possibility of the bubble-like approach to March Madness. And guys, we've already seen enough cancellations and postponements to know that this season's going to be rocky, just like football season was rocky. Uh, football is going to cross the finish line here soon. Basketball is determined to make sure it crosses the finish line as well. And yes, the competitive part matters, but the money part matters even more to more important people. Hey, Tom, Tom, I think maybe Dave hit on a key issue there as to why you and I are in the shape that we are in. We, we haven't followed the money. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, I, you know, I, you know, Dave was talking about the fork in the road. Like Johnny Carson, I took the wrong one. So, yeah. <laughs> or, or Yogi Berra said, "When you come to the fork in the road, take it." Right? Take you know, it. Figure yes. that one out. <laughs> I'm still looking around in the woods here, like, what? What's going on over here? Yeah. <laughs> so, Dave, do you make what do you make of uh, Duke women not playing and, and Duke men? I mean, that that just uh, not a university decision overall for basketball. I mean, that's one you make individually, I guess. Yeah, and if we flash back to March of 2020 when we were at the NC at the ACC tournament rather in Greensboro where they pulled the plug midstream, uh, a lot of people forget because of course John Swafford, ACC commissioner, pulled the plug on that tournament. You know, as teams were on the floor on that midweek afternoon, uh, Duke basketball, Mike Shashevsky's team informed the ACC prior to that happening that the Blue Devils were not going forward because of the COVID details that had not yet caused all of the leagues to pull their plugs on their conference tournaments. So the same university that nine or so months ago kind of went its own way into the sport that it is most famous for. You all, you all can finish this ACC tournament without us. I mean, that, that was yeah. a jarring moment, and this is another jarring moment. I mean, here we are. There are no men's teams that have pulled the plug entirely. 
I'm not aware of many teams in other high-profile sports that have pulled the plug entirely, and yet Duke signed off on the Duke women doing exactly that. So uh, you all know the deal. We're not going to have a normal world uh, for many more months. We don't know exactly how many. Um, and Duke's women just decided that they were not going to ride this roller coaster. And in, back to the follow the money idea, when that is run up the flagpole, keep in mind, rather than it being Duke men's basketball, where the university president and the athletic director, Kevin White, and every other decision maker in the room would have to say, wait a minute, we're pulling the plug on the tail that wags this dog. If it's women's basketball, with all due respect, it's simply not a major financial impact, especially in a year where you don't even have fans in the stands. And of course the women don't have anything close to the TV deals that the men have. So it, it was surprising in the, that it is so unusual. Um, but if it was going to happen somewhere, it didn't surprise me that it happened at Duke. All of this make it even more remarkable in your eyes that the NFL just completed a regular season in which it played all 276 of its scheduled games? Yeah, it's amazing and impressive. And we all know that the NHL and NBA were massive success stories in a different context because they basically pulled off the bubble that would be too expensive and too complicated for college sports to approach for an entire season. Um, the NFL, of course, did not have the advantage of a bubble, but they do have the advantage of much deeper pockets uh, and you know, a collective bargaining agreement with their players and the massive amounts of money that it takes to test that many people that often and get those turnaround tests, test results very quickly. I don't think colleges have the money to do it the same way. And, you know, that stuff matters. The, N the NBA and the NFL and the NHL as pro organizations, other pro leagues too had success stories. Um, it was going to be a more complicated journey for college athletics. They knew that all along. I guess the good news is they still crowned conference champions in college football. Uh, they still got to the college football playoff. Um, but, yeah, they, they knew it was going to be a more complicated road. And, and we've seen some creativity, as we discussed in previous shows, I think, with, you know, back-to-back -back games against the same opponent in the same place in some of these conference matchups. And, and this, you know, NCAA tournament at one site or, or – series of sites at one location, I guess you'd say, uh, is just another variation of the college folks trying to do as many things as possible like those success stories, while also realizing that, you know, college students who have other commitments can't be handled the same way you treat professional athletes. Yeah, and, and I want to get into the to the football stuff here in, in just a minute, but, but it does bear getting into briefly, in, in just inside college athletics, the difference between the haves and the have-nots. Do you know what the daily slash weekly testing protocols are uh, in the ACC or the other Power Five conferences? At, at Furman, for instance, uh, a small school, somehow they've come up with the ability to test three times a week. They, they do the, the big test once and, and the saliva test two other times and have put a you know, ton of other safety protocols in. And, and we've gone 11 for 11 in our scheduled basketball games so far, and, and the one that has been postponed didn't, didn't have anything to do with us. Um, what are the what are the the protocols uh, as you know them in the Atlantic Coast Conference? Very similar to what you just described. 
Now, I'm 100% certain that the football approach matched what you just described with the two less expensive tests per week and then the one, I guess, more intensive test per week as well, adding up to a total of three. Uh, so everybody's being tested and, and, you know, that's support staff as well, not just players and coaches. Um, and I believe it is, if not exactly the same, mostly the same for men's basketball. So that would be one example where Furman has to come up with a similar amount of cash and just personnel to execute that plan as the Atlantic Coast Conference, you know, a power five league that has much deeper pockets. So uh, credit to Furman for stepping up to the plate. You, you guys know that one of the biggest issues and disagreements uh, among athletic directors and coaches has been they get really frustrated when the team they're supposed to play has different protocols than they do. Mm -hmm. They view it as a competitive disadvantage. They view it as I'm going to play that risky team that has those lower protocols and one of their guys might have been undetected and gets one of my guys sick, which causes 12 others to you know, be in contact tracing. Uh, it, it is close to a level playing field within the ACC, and it sounds like, you know, in your example, Dan, Furman is kind of rising to that same level. Hey, Dave, one, one other uh, basketball question before we move on to football. And you've done this a long time with your website and been around the ACC. Have you, have you ever been seen the ACC in basketball that really doesn't have a dominant team? If you look at their rankings, I think Florida State last week was the highest at 18, things like that. I think it's funny you would ask that because I had to look up, had I ever seen on the football side, had I ever seen a bowl season where the ACC didn't win a single game? Yeah. So it was another one of those I'm getting old moments where I looked back and believe it or not, and they went 0-6 this year, of course. It was 1983. I was a high school student, not even dreaming of covering college sports for a living. 1983 is the last time the ACC took the, you know, the proverbial goose egg in terms of postseason football wins. That's a long time ago. That's a, a generation ago. I would say in answer to your basketball question, having covered the ACC since 1987, I have never seen a march or an end of the season where the ACC did not have a top 15 team. And sometimes, you know, five different top 15 teams. Mm -hmm. Um, now, I, I, it'd be harder for me to put my finger on whether I can recall sort of this stumble out of the gate scenario, because as much as I like what Clemson has done and what Virginia Tech has done and some others, um, I'm not sure the ACC right now has one of the top 15 teams in the country. In fact, I would argue not. Now, maybe Duke improves a lot. Maybe UVA does. Maybe Carolina does. Louisville looks pretty good. Syracuse looks pretty good. But I, I guess my answer, as the new year comes, I can't remember an example in 30-plus years of covering the ACC. I cannot remember an example where when the calendar turned, I didn't think, wow, the ACC has one or two or four of the best teams in America. I've seen all 15 play. There is not one of those 15 that deserves the label of a top 15 team. Uh, and again, they can become that. I think there's a half a dozen teams that have a chance to become that. But, man, it's a weird year, and the ACC certainly doesn't want the double whammy of the extremely rare golden sombrero during bowl season followed by the extremely rare, you know, no high seeds at the NCAA tournament. 
Dave Glenn with us, as uh, is normally the case here on the Dan Scott Show and Grumpy Old Broadcasters. All right, let's let's turn our attention in our final ten minutes or so to uh, the world of college football. And I, I think I, you know, I watched uh, all of the the ESPN pregame stuff uh, ahead of of uh, Saturday's playoff games, and and almost to a man, everybody thought it was going to be, uh, you know, Alabama Clemson, the sequel, sequel to the sequel, and Alabama held up its end. Uh, but uh, Clemson did not. Of course, Notre Dame uh, was Alabama's victim. Uh, no, no ACC in the championship game this year. No, I guess the, the silver lining is the ACC and the SEC remain the only two leagues that send somebody to the college football playoff every year. Uh, you know, the ACC sent two this year with uh, Notre Dame, the temporary member, I guess you would say. But, yeah, it's disappointing. You know, it, nobody was surprised, as you said, that Notre Dame lost convincingly to Alabama. But Clemson has been carrying the flag for this league for a long time. Uh, it, it helps the ACC, you know, avoid falling out of the relevance picture entirely because the Tigers still had a very good season. But it was a complicated season. And in the end, you know, they just weren't good enough. Ohio State is one of the few teams, along with Alabama, there might only be three, that have – a similar level of talent, experience, depth, future NFL players, that kind of thing. And that game could have gone either way. And the Buckeyes made more big plays. Uh, The Buckeyes got excellent quarterback performance, excellent running back performance. And while the Tigers were the best team in the ACC again, I would argue by a significant margin, um, some years it's not good enough when you match up against the other teams like you, and this is one of those years. Tell you what, Dave, it's pretty amazing when you look at what uh, uh, Just Fields did uh, in the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, 22-14 win. I think he went 12 out of 24 with no touchdowns, two interceptions, 114 yards, and all of a sudden, 385 and six touchdowns against Clemson. Incredible. You know, and, and they threw the ball with Justin Fields against a good Clemson defense. They ran the ball with Trey Sermon against a good Clemson defense. This is not one of those flukish losses. When Justin Fields throws for six touchdowns and almost 400 yards and Sermon runs for almost 200 yards Mm -hmm. on 30 or so carries, uh, and they had receivers who had big days, there's nothing flukish about that. You know, some days you get the bear and some days the bear gets you. Clemson has been on the right side of that equation, you know, feels like 95% of the time during this long stretch under Dabo Sweeney. Every once in a while you run into – a vintage Alabama team, a vintage Ohio State team. Uh, Clemson's still the, the top dog. I mean, when some people are already asking about, you know, next year, which is the question you get, you know, every time the final ACC team has played its last game. Uh, and even though my answer is, how can you forecast next year in this weird year where so many guys, it's that extra layer of complexity. It's not just who's leaving early for the NFL. It's which of those traditional seniors who, because of the extra year of eligibility, can stay if they want to. Uh, now, some of them have made their announcements, but you know, pred- predictions are hard enough when you know who the players are going to be. <laughs> they, they get really complicated when you're not sure who's staying. Uh, but whatever that lineup looks like, Clemson will be number one on my preseason ballot for all sorts of obvious reasons. Uh, they're at the level where you guys hear it from the fans more than I do, that they expect to make a run at a national title every year. You know, there are only a few coaches in the history of this league in 
either of the highest profile sports who raised the bar so high that their fans started to expect that. I mean, you're talking Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, Dean Smith at Carolina, Roy Williams at Carolina, uh, a Bobby Bowden at Florida State. You know, it's not a long list, but if in your bad years, you you lost a regular season game, oh, no, in conference play, and you you lost in the semifinals, I, I hope most Clemson fans can remember that most programs in America would beg for that kind of a bad mm. year because they don't even get close to smelling those sorts of roses. Well, and, and, and that's really the downside to the, the way media has evolved and, and social media on top of and everything. Now we are in an instant reaction society and we don't take a step back sometimes and look at things through the lens of perspective and, and understanding that, yeah, if you've gotten beat that way, going back to the championship game last year, your secondary has been torched to straight big games. Yeah, there are some issues that have to be addressed, but you're also one of the elite recruiting schools in the country, and, and Dabo Sweeney has shown that he can fix things inside that program. Uh, I, I think sometimes, whether it's fans or, or whether it's media, we, we don't take that step back and look at it with perspective, and that, that's just not the era that we live in right now. Yeah, and I'm one of those believers that I have nothing, I have no objection to a disappointed Clemson fan saying Brent Venables had a bad night. And this is one of the best coordinators in the country. And he did not have a plan that worked. And his guys who usually stepped up and rise to the occasion did not rise to the occasion. Some of the best players in the ACC. I mean, how many times was Darian Kendrick standing there wondering how? another big play was made against him as an elite cornerback for the Tigers. Sometimes stuff happens. I believe fair criticism is a valid part of the equation. You know, the Tigers didn't play their best. The Tigers looked unprepared to a degree on defense. They also lost to a brilliant football team, a well-coached, talented football team. And that backdrop is what I always argue should be a part of the equation as well. You know, Mike Krzyzewski and Dean Smith have examples where they lost a game in the NCAA tournament where they had the better team. It does happen, even to the best of the best. But when you think of the backdrop, the multiple national championships, you know, an endless run of ACC championships in the case of Dabo Sweeney and football, you know, we've talked about this before, but part of the backdrop is, by the age of 50 or so, Dabo Sweeney may have the best resume in the history of ACC football. It's a short conversation. It's Bobby Bowden at Florida State, who, of course, you know, got to coach into his 70s and is now retired. Dabo, by 50 or so, has accomplished at least as much as every other ACC football coach in the history of the world. You know, that's, that's the backdrop now. And it's not easy to crank out that many ACC titles in a row. It's not, it's not easy to be in the college football playoff almost every year. It's not easy to create that endless stream of recruits. You, we, Tom, Dan, and I lived through the downtimes for Clemson football. If it were that easy, those downtimes wouldn't have stretched for a decade at a time sometimes. So give the guy a lot of credit in the big picture, even if you want to you know, criticize what happened against Ohio State. To me, Dan, you and I are kindred spirits along these lines. There's room for both of those things Mm -hmm. in an intelligent conversation. 
Although, yes, yeah, so, social media and some other dark corners of the universe don't always make us feel that way. And intelligent conversation is becoming an oxymoron, uh, but uh, that's another story for another time. Tom, anything final for Dave? Uh, I was going to ask you about Texas A&M and North Carolina. Of course, North Carolina didn't have their top two running backs, top receiver, and top uh, tackler. But uh, the, the question here would be, have you ever seen or heard in the ACC – of any coach that got hurt after the game, like Jimbo Fisher uh, pulled a hamstring trying to get out of the way when they were dumping uh, Gatorade on him. Did you guys see that video? I didn't know Jimbo Fisher had that kind of speed in him as he was that? running away from the guys looking <laughs> to dump the Gatorade on him. He was moving quicker than I've ever seen him move. I'm trying to think. There's probably a good example. Yeah, we've had know. controversial handshake lines in, in the ACC <laughs> over the years, like in the basketball context. Um, I can't think of one. You know, maybe there's a player where, you know, a player, uh, the tackle goes into the sideline, the old elderly yeah. coach falls and breaks a hip or something like that. Uh, we've seen all sorts of craziness, but I thought that was one of the better bowl games. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was, for those who don't know, and this is more perspective, right? Carolina had never played in a bigger bowl than an Orange Bowl. They've, of course, never played in the Rose Bowl. They only played in the cotton and the sugar back before any of us was born. And that's their first trip to the Orange Bowl. So contrast, it's not like Carolina is a historically bad football program, you know, the way Duke was for a while or Wake Forest was for a while. They've been up, they've been down, but think about the nature of that statement. A Clemson is now used to playing in big games every year. You know, Carolina just played in one of the biggest game, bowl games in the history of its program, and that one was one of the few that went down to the wire. I mean, Notre Dame got crushed by Alabama. Um, Clemson got beat pretty solidly by Ohio State. You know, uh, Wake lost by a couple of touchdowns to to Wake to uh, Wisconsin. Carolina, you know, was toe to toe with the number five team in the nation, Texas A and M, for much of that. Uh, but the Aggies got 24 fourth-quarter points and put it over the top. So it was interesting that that was one of the rare matchups between coaches that have won national championships. You know, Jimbo at FSU, Mack at Texas, so they're at different schools than where they won it all. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that was a really well-played game, and it was a reminder to me that Carolina, obviously way after Clemson, but with Notre Dame going back to its independent status, Clemson will be the preseason favorite again in 2021. And among the candidates uh, for, you know, whatever, the next tier, I guess you'd say, Carolina with Sam Howell back at quarterback. Miami played fairly well before losing to Oklahoma State in its bowl game. And then its senior quarterback, De'Eric King, announced that he's coming back for a, what did he say, run it back. Um, so Miami and Carolina are two candidates. There's going to be some coaches under pressure to, to join that group behind Clemson. But uh, – the ACC wants more years than like, uh, what was it, 2017, where Lamar Jackson won, it all, won the Heisman and Clemson won the national title. And I think they had five of the final 20, final uh, rankings, five of the top 25 teams in the country. The ACC in football needs more years like that one. Yeah. And uh, not as many the, the way this one ended, at least. Clemson and Notre Dame both carried the flag in positive ways, but uh, – yeah, 0-6 during bowl season is about as bad as it gets. Dave, tell everybody how they can follow up more about uh, how to follow you and what you do. 
On Twitter, I am at David Glenn Show. Try to have a lot of fun there. And yes, uh, created accsports.com and the ACC Sports Journal way back in 1994. I still do things with them. Uh, Theathletic.com and The Athletic Carolina is another long-term affiliation of mine. I enjoy contributing to, I think it's the fastest growing sports media website in the world with 1 million subscribers, including Dan Scott. So there you go. Uh, we appreciate that loyalty. And uh, the best uh, Don Corleone, I don't have a Don Corleone voice, but you made me an offer I couldn't refuse. You know? <laughs> yeah. there you go. Dave, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. All right, guys. Take care. Good to be with you. you. All right. Back to wrap it up in just a moment, folks. Don't go away. Uh, we are back and uh, with just about enough time to say goodbye here on this uh, edition of the show. Thanks to uh, Dave Glenn for joining us. Uh, Tom Van Hoy, as always, man, we covered a lot of ground today, uh, but we had a lot of ground to cover since it's been two weeks since we've done a show or a podcast episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, as always, if you'd like to uh, interact with us, you can email me at uh, Show at gmail.com. Uh, my Twitter address is at Dan Scott Show. I uh, would love to have you interact and uh, share the podcast, especially help us grow that, and uh, tell your friends about the uh, the show airing here in Abbeville and WZLA. Thanks to the Godfather for uh, continuing to put up with us, and look forward to being back with you next Monday. By the, by the way, I forgot to mention our brand new time slot here, uh, five until six instead of four thirty to five for those of you listening on the radio in Abbeville and Greenwood and points all around that area we appreciate it look forward to it and we'll be back with you next time again our podcast is sponsored by Tadaro pizza in greenville Tadaropizza.com. t-o-d-a-r-o pizza.com is the uh, website you can find out the menu the operating hours all of that good stuff for both locations there we'll be back with you again next week until then for tom and dave and all of us here i'm dan scott saying god bless you and so long everybody Thank you.